Please stand as you are able for today's New Testament lesson from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, Mason, thank you, and thank you to the praise team for leading us in worship today and for all of you who are present. Uh, it is a great joy to see you, to be with you in worship today. Charlie, thank you for reading uh, the lesson today. And for all who are online with us, uh, it is always a great honor and privilege to be with you in your home, and we want you to know uh, what a great honor it is for us to worship with you today. Laura, thank you for your prayer, and to all of you for your presence today on this beautiful fall day uh, we welcome you. It is almost impossible, Laura, for me to believe that five weeks from today is the first Sunday of Advent, but you are exactly right. Uh, and we are looking forward to that season together. We're already planning. Uh, we missed it last year, that first Sunday in Advent when our youth choir uh, does their concert in the narthex. That will be happening this year, and we look forward to that. They'll be sharing that at least three times on that day, that afternoon, uh, and I also want to remind you that two weeks from today is what I think is one of the most important services of worship in the life of our church, and that is All Saints Day. And we'll gather on November the 7th to read 50 names uh, who have gone on to be with our Lord since last All Saints Day. And we'll have a, a number of families, uh, other members, extended members who will be here to help us celebrate on that day and we hope you, you'll be one of those who's with us uh, either online or in person two weeks from today. So anyway, today we're beginning a new series. We concluded an 11-week series last week called Empower, and we were in the book of Acts, and we're going to continue with the book of Acts in this series that will last for five weeks called With Open Hands. We're going to be looking specifically at passages, again, in the book of Acts that reflect the generosity of the heart of the early church, of the early believers. And by the way, during this time, uh, we're going to be inviting you to join us together as we make our commitments for the ministry year of 2022. It's hard to believe uh, that we're just a short time from that. But we're going to invite you to prayerfully consider the gifts and pledges and commitments that we will make to the ministry of Brentwood United Methodist Church for next year. Twenty years ago, a full generation ago, you may remember that the United Methodist Church conducted a media campaign. And the goal of the campaign was to try to convince or influence the public in understanding that we as a people called Wesleyans are a generous people. Now, you may remember 
the slogan. It was open hearts, open minds, open doors 20 years ago. I don't know how you measure the effectiveness of it. I I really don't. It it wasn't a bad slogan, as slogans go, although I have to tell you, sometimes I'm a little suspicious of slogans. I, I wonder sometimes, are they really who we are or are they who we want to be? I'll give you an example. Sirius XM Radio, their slogan is audio entertainment vital to listeners. But I think it may be, I hope you like us because we're kind of impossible to cancel. (laughs) So slogans may be who you are, they may be who you want to be or something completely different. How about this one? McDonald's new one is I'm loving it, but I think it may be the only place with a broken ice cream machine 24 seven. And so it's really important that before you sort of advertise who you are, you understand is this who we really are or is this who we want to be? Or is there a wide gap between the two? Now I think, and I could be wrong, but I think if Dr. Luke had been a Methodist and was alive in 2001 when this campaign started, that he might've added to our slogan. He might've added, along with open hearts, minds, doors, open hands. I think that's critical. As Christ followers, when it comes to sharing, when it comes to generosity, we are never called to be tight-fisted. We're called to be open-handed. That's why whenever a person stands before God and this body and receives the baptismal vows, the question is then asked, will you be loyal, will you be generous, will you be faithful to Christ and the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? That's an important question. Now, Charlie, the text that you read for us this morning, I think it's sort of a slogan, if you will. It's a summary statement of the early church written by Dr. Luke. And it's interesting, if you read the book of Acts, which is the sequel to Luke's gospel, you'll notice that it is full of these little assessments that Luke gives us from time to time about here's how the church is doing. Here's what's happening in the church. In fact, you see it in Acts 2 right after Pentecost. There's three or four verses that summarizes the work of the church. You also see it in the text that Charlie read. In fact, I wanna read that again, but from a more modern paraphrase. This is from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, The Message. Now the whole congregation of the believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't claim ownership of their own possessions. In fact, no one said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of their master Jesus, and grace was upon all of them. And get this, not a person among them was needy. Indeed, some who owned fields or houses, property, sold them and brought the price of the sale to the apostles, and they made an offering of it, and the apostles distributed it according to each person's need. Wow. Now, to be sure, this was not a requirement. This was not a necessity for a Christian to divest themselves of one's entire portfolio but generosity was an indispensable part of their faith and practice. 
And it's an indispensable part of our faith and practice. And so I think what's happening here is Luke is being crystal clear that faith not only involves heart, mind, doors, it involves open hands. Open hearts, minds, doors includes open hands. Now the last verse in our text gives us an example of what open-handed generosity actually looks like. And it's always good to have an example, right? And Luke gives us one in Acts 4.36. Now, there was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him and then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, it always helps to have an illustration. When you're talking about biblical truth, when you're talking about universal truth, I need an illustration, I need an example, and we have one in this man. He was a native of Cyprus. Some of you have been there. I have been in that area of the Mediterranean uh, several years ago. In fact, we're going to do it in two years, do a trip on the travels of Paul where we will go to the places that Paul actually served. We're going in two years in September. This man was a native of this island called Cyprus in the eastern Mediterranean. It's about 60 miles west of the Syrian coast where Antioch, the new headquarters of the mission movement, was located. About the same distance, by the way, from the coast of Turkey. He was a Cypriot from Cyprus. He was also a Levite. What does that mean? That's of priestly origin. The Levites, to a large degree, were in charge of the synagogue. They were the lay leaders of the synagogue. This man is a Levite, and he's named after one of the 12 sons of Jacob. His name is Joseph, the one, according to Exodus, who became the prince of Egypt, Egypt who saved the region from the famine. And this man, Joseph, was likely one of those 3,000 Jewish converts in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The apostles, however, nicknamed him. This is not unusual. You saw this happen with Simon when he became a believer. They called him Peter. He went from being Simon means sanding to, Sandy to Peter, which means rock. You see, this was with Saul. After his conversion, he becomes Paul. They nicknamed him Barnabas, which is the word for encouragement. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you look at Romans chapter 12, they're with administration, they're with mercy, they're with compassion, they're with giving, is encouragement. I cannot remember a day or an age or a time when that gift is more needed than now, the gift of encouragement. It, it literally, it means to console, to comfort, to come to someone's aid. Do you know anyone that has the gift of encouragement? And Barnabas had it, that was his name. And he certainly lived up to his name in the book of Acts to the point that he was willing to sell a piece of real estate that he must have owned or his family owned in Jerusalem and then he laid it at the discretion of the church at the apostles' feet in order to provide for the needs of others and not just for himself. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I think this is right. 
I have noticed that encouraging people tend to be very generous people. I think that's true. I think encouraging unselfish people become very attentive with their time, with their attention, with their money to the needs of others. And by the way, I think the opposite may also be true, that discouraging people tend to be uncharitable people. Discouraging people tend to be a little uncaring and sometimes even a little stingy in terms of their own. You know the name Derrick Henry, I suppose. Uh, Those of you who follow the Titans and yes, Ed, the Chiefs are in town today and we're hoping that you'll bring us a win today. Derrick Henry is one of the most gifted athletes Played football in college, Charlie, for the University of Alabama. That was not nice what happened yesterday in Tuscaloosa to the University of Tennessee. Derrick Henry, one of the most gifted athletes in the NFL. Thanks be to God, he's a titan. Last year gained over 2,000 yards in one season. And he's on track to do it again this year. I read this week in the Tennessean that Derrick Henry is so grateful for his offensive line that does his dirty work on Sunday afternoons that he often buys them jewelry. Have you seen this? And last year, in that big year, he bought all of his offensive linemen a Rolex. Some of you are thinking, I chose the wrong profession. It's a tough world. His generosity, Derrick Henry's generosity, encourages his linemen to keep on blocking, to keep on opening the holes. In fact, the article said Derrick Henry is so generous, he's a Christian as well, he's a Christ follower, that everybody around him becomes better because he's a Barnabas. Between Acts chapters 4 and 15, if you do the math on this, you'll discover that the name Barnabas occurs 23 times in those chapters. Maybe Luke's trying to tell us something. This guy's a leader who is always mindful of his neighbor. This guy's a leader who is unselfish in terms of his own time and money for the sake of the church. In fact, he's an open door to others. And I think the first time you see this, by the way, is in Acts chapter 9. This was sometime after the Apostle Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus that Paul came to Jerusalem to join up with the apostles. But as you can imagine, they were scared to death of Paul. Well, who wouldn't have been? They knew his past. Paul had been so anti-Jesus that he persecuted, he tormented the believers, and so they shut the door on Paul in Jerusalem. They didn't trust him until Barnabas vouched for him. Barnabas stood up and told the apostles that what had happened to Paul on the road to Damascus was for real and that Paul was a changed person. He was a different man. Barnabas was willing to risk himself, to risk his neck for Paul. In fact, I think you can make the case that we would have never heard of the apostle Paul if it hadn't been for his friend Barnabas who encouraged him and put himself on the line to bring Paul in. That's generosity. 
In Acts chapter 11, you remember when the church in Jerusalem heard that the Spirit was moving among the Gentiles in Antioch, who do you suppose they send to check it out? Barnabas, son of encouragement. In fact, the text says that when Barnabas arrived in Antioch and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and listen, and he encouraged them to stay true to the Lord because he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And listen, and a great many people came to the Lord because of his generosity. Barnabas was also generous, I think, when it came to sharing leadership. And this is not always easy for us, whether you're in business or whether you're a clergy person, sharing leadership. Apparently, the need in Antioch became so great that Barnabas knew he couldn't do it all, all alone, and he didn't try. He wasn't a solo hero leader. He was a team leader. And so chapter 11, verse 25 says that Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Paul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch so that Paul could assist him, help him to teach and preach and bear witness to the gospel. Barnabas shared his pulpit. That's generosity. And here's an interesting sidebar, biblically. Listen to this. If you read carefully the book of Acts, up until Acts chapter 13, whenever you see these two together, Barnabas and Paul, it's always Barnabas' name first. You notice that? Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul went here. Barnabas and Paul did this. Barnabas and Paul did that. But during their first mission trip, all of a sudden, the order shifts and now Barnabas and Paul becomes Paul and Barnabas. What's going on? Paul is now surpassing Barnabas in terms of leadership. Paul is now the chief spokesman for the church. Paul is taking the lead, and Barnabas is okay with it. In fact, he endorses it. Man, you talk about generosity. I think it was Leonard Bernstein who said the hardest part to play is second fiddle. And Barnabas is willing to take the lesser part to endorse the leadership of Paul. Now, there's one other little detail that I want to mention. Barnabas was generous in his giving, of course, the real estate, teaching, yes, in Antioch, mentoring, yes, leadership. But notice that Barnabas was also rich in mercy. He was generous when it came to forgiving others. This is where the rubber meets the road. In Acts 15, verse 36, after the Jerusalem conference where the apostles decided that they weren't going to make Gentiles into Jews to become Christian, after that council meeting, Paul wanted Barnabas to go back out in the field on the road with him to visit the churches that they had established on the first mission. And Barnabas wanted to go. He was game. He was gung-ho. But he wanted to take along his cousin on this mission trip, whose name was John Mark. Anybody remember John Mark? John Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on their first mission trip, but for some reason... Luke says in the book of Acts that John Mark deserted the movement in Pamphylia. 
In other words, they were, they were on the mission field and John Mark went AWOL. <laughs> he just quit. He went home. We don't know why, there's nothing, there's no explanation, but Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance. And Paul said, mm-mm, no, it's too risky. He's unreliable. It will jeopardize our witness. But Barnabas insisted. And Paul drew a line in the sand and said, it's my way or the highway. Chapter 15, verse 39 says, and this is Luke who is always understating things, their disagreement became so bitter that they parted ways. You believe that? Two men of God who were utterly sold out to Jesus, both of whom would give their lives for Christ, they were utterly committed to the gospel, but they could no longer work together. They split up. You know, I don't know why this is, this is, but it is that sometimes we have this rather stained glass view of the early church as though it had no problems, smooth sailing, stress-free, no tension. It wasn't that way. It never has been. In fact, this dispute between these two giants became so intense that they went their own way. Paul refused to take John Mark and Barnabas refused to leave John Mark. And the text doesn't say it, but I bet you your tithe that Barnabas either said or thought, uh, you know, Paul, I remember a time in Jerusalem when nobody would give you the time of day but somebody vouched for you. Somebody opened the door for you. And you're gonna shut it now on John Mark? This is how new churches get formed. <laughs> Around conflict and personalities and celebrity pastors, and we all walk around going, who was right, Barnabas or Paul? So should we become a part of the Church of St. Barnabas? Or should we cross the street to the Church of St. Paul? But watch this. The Spirit of God even uses the conflict to multiply the mission. Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus and Paul and Silas went to Cilicia and the mission doubled. Now, I'm way ahead of you. I know what you're thinking because I think this too. I am not a big, huge fan of conflict. Are you? I, I've never cared for church conflict unless it happens in somebody else's church. It's okay if it happens at Mike Glenn's church, but not in this church. But it's unavoidable, right? Because where two or more are gathered, you're going to have a difference of opinion, of course. But I think it was Bishop Desmond Tutu who said, God's love is too great to be confined to any one side of a conflict. I believe that's true. But the good news is the Spirit of God can even use the friction as traction 
to increase the mission and open hearts, minds, doors, and hands. He can do that. I can't do that, but he can do it through me. And he can do it through you. We need some Barnabases. I'm sorry, plural. We need some Barnabai in the world. Let me give you two little examples. Dr. Larry Crabb, maybe you've heard the name, C-R-A-B-B, a writer, a teacher, a Christ follower, actually a psychotherapist by trade, died just this year, just a few months ago. I was reading about him recently, get this, when he was a young man, he was struggling with a call to ministry. He was asked to help with communion in his local church, and as a part of the ritual, those who were assisting were asked to offer a prayer aloud as people would conclude. We used to do this. People would conclude receiving a communion, and then someone would have a prayer, usually the pastor or a lay leader. And so this was a part of the tradition, that those assisting would offer a public prayer aloud in front of a group. And Larry had a speech impediment, very sensitive about it. He often stuttered when he spoke. And when it came his time to pray, he made an absolute mess of the prayer. And in his mind, he vowed never to speak or pray out loud in public in front of a group again. He said, at the end of the service, I headed for the door as fast as I could, but before I could escape, an older man named Jim Durham caught me. I braced myself for his criticism, but what he said changed my life. He said, Larry, there's one thing I want you to know before you go today. Whatever you wind up doing for God, I'm, be I'm behind you 1,000%. It was life-changing, he said. Those words were life-giving. It was my second chance, and he was my Barnabas. We need some Barnabai in this world. Last word, and I mean it this time. We had Lydia Kingsborough's service here last Monday. Lydia was 82. She was a Barnabas. She used every ounce of her energy in her final days, every last minute, to encourage us, to encourage her friends and her family. I'm told that there were over 100 people who came to see her in the last week of her life. In fact, I, I think she needed a secretary to handle all the appointments. There were some of our women who were gatekeepers to make sure that when we visited, we didn't ring the bell, that we didn't overstay our welcome, and after each visit, one of her friends would walk us out to the freezer, reach in and get a jar of homemade jam to take home, made by Lydia's hand, per her instruction that before you left her house, she was gonna give you a gift. We were trying to be helpful to her, and she was still giving to us. That's generous, that's open-handed, and it was her nature. She was a Barnabas. She was a daughter of encouragement. I think we have a church full of them. I don't think that's really just who we want to be. 
I think that's who you are. And you're the example that God needs and somebody else needs in this world. Your witness can be the difference for somebody else, for Jesus' sake. May it be so, in Jesus' name.